Welcome back to the Pit Stop here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. James Wilson, Brett Wiseman, with a special guest, Lauren Penniless, with us here at Bowman Gray Racing. And Lauren, we just want to bring you, very good. We just want to bring you on and talk about, well, it's been a while since we've had Bowman Gray Racing, so we just want been. to talk to it has been an unusual time for the whole world, but uh, but it, it's been uh, unusual for us. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's been way too long to to just you know have the madhouse go quiet. The only event there was uh, Winston Salem State football, and even then it was um, uh, to I think family only, as far as I heard. I don't know that people could actually go to those games either. So it's I mean it's weird to just pass by it and hear nothing and see nothing and just see that it's an empty stadium that has gone relatively unused for over a year now. Yeah. But I've got some good news is that, uh, you know, as, as we're, as you guys are aware of, that's the whole reason I'm here. We uh, will not be silent for too much longer. So on June the 5th, we, uh, we have our opening night, our Hayes Jewelers 200 for the Brad's golf cards modified series opening up on, uh, on June the 5th. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, we're going to be there in some form or fashion pretty much every single race, every single weekend we can be because, well, this whole show started around Bowman Gray Racing in January of this year, and it's it's extremely exciting to actually finally get good news about Bowman Gray Racing. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're ready to go. It, it has been a uh, it's, it's been a, a challenging time uh, trying to figure out if we could go back racing, what that would look like, what the restrictions would look like. So it is, it's been, um, you know, it's, it's, I wouldn't want to be the decision makers. I wouldn't want to be governor Cooper. I wouldn't want to be, um, you know, the, the, the president, all the, the doctors advising, they have in, incredibly, uh, challenging responsibilities and, uh, it, it has been tough on us as well. And, and all the businesses out there, we talk to businesses all the time. It's been, been a difficult time trying to figure out how to move forward, but it looks like maybe we're getting to the end of this thing and, We'll be back to normal. Lauren, there, there's a, I, I would say a, a palpable excitement around this and, you know, there, there's no capacity restrictions. There's, you know, of course, if you're vaccinated, you won't have to wear a mask, all, all that, all that good stuff. But what's it going to feel like, you know, j- just to have folks back in the madhouse and things to feel somewhat normal again on a Saturday night? Yeah, it's it'll kind of be we'll have to see on June 5th. I imagine it'll almost be in a way emotional because uh, this whole time, you know, we as 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 racing management have been just looking at at the the field before us that was laid out before us and kind of like, all right, how do we how do we open up? What is what is it going to look like? Do we have to mark off seats and put people in designated groups and have reserved seating? And uh, now knowing um, as as you you know as you mentioned. Governor Cooper has uh, reduced all the res- eliminated all the restrictions on mass capacity gatherings and on uh, social distancing. So we'll be able to go back to to seating just like it was in in 2019. And uh, in terms of the masks, you know, like you've mentioned, he's reduced some of those mask requirements, and uh, we're we're thankful, we're ready to go, and and uh, it's it it is very nice that we're able to just get back to the way things were you know i think everyone everyone longs for for 2019 every the good old days when um you know when you used to be able to just live life in in a a carefree way back then and in many ways we'll we'll probably never go fully back to that but Mm -hmm. uh as a society but at least in terms of of a racetrack i mean it it was uh it's exciting to know that 
we can have fans in the stands once again. And um, we're able to keep our ticket prices the same. We were concerned that uh, if we were reduced to capacity that, you know, we couldn't make work, that we would have to raise the ticket prices in order to, to pay driver purses and, 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 you know, keep the wheels rolling, so to say. Um, but we're pleased that we're able to keep our ticket prices the same as they were in, in 2019 and the previous year. So adults, it's only going to be uh, $12 tickets for adults. For children 6 to 11, it's $2. And for children 5 and under are free. So we're, we're excited. June, June the 5th, um, first race starts at, starts at 8 o'clock. Ticket gates open at 6, first race at 8. So l- ladies' night is still happening, though, right? No, actually, we're not having any ladies' night this season. We, we, we actually, um, as we were preparing for uh, for opening up under COVID restrictions, and we were considering, all right, what are we going to have to do um, just to make it economically work? What are we going to have to do with a, a reduced season? Uh, we just had to make a lot of tough decisions, and even now for this season, no, we're not going to have any ladies' nights, but. Um, you know, we, we've kind of felt that our, our strategy for the longest time has been that we try to keep ticket prices very low. I mean, we try to be family friendly, affordable entertainment so that um, on any given night that you go, you're going to be able to get in with with you and your family are going to be able to get in for a, a very reasonable price. We run a tight ship so that when we say we start at eight, I mean, we start at eight <laughs> and right. we're over by 11, 1130. So that uh, everyone can kind of, you know, we run a tight ship. So there's constant entertainment the entire time. We're we're done at a reasonable hour where you can go home, get a good night's sleep, head out to church in the morning, or whatever you're doing that Sunday. And uh, so we think it's a it's a it's great family entertainment. And who knows what it'll look like for the future for uh, 2022 and and 2023. We we do have an abbreviated season this year and a, a few things that we're we're having to kind of switch around, but. Uh, but the good news is, yeah, we're, we're excited to be able to throw that green flag. As far as the – sorry, Dave, I didn't mean to cut you off. As far as the competitive side of things, who are some drivers we need to watch for in that Hayes Jeweler 200 and uh, the season going forward in Brad's Golf Cars Modified Series? Oh, well, that's, that is the, the question of the day you know, because, uh, of course, anyone, when you think of Modifieds at Bowman Gray Stadium, um, probably the two names that inevitably will come up are, are Burt Myers and Tim Brown. Um, together, they have been fighting neck and neck for the championship in the last few seasons, and they pretty much traded the, the championship back and forth for the last few seasons. So they're definitely two that you always want to keep an eye on. However, one of the great things about Bowman Gray Stadium Racing is we've got a full field of cars, and on any given night, any of those guys could win. Um, I'm not even sure you know, uh, with with the, the field coming back, we haven't really even had all of our practice sessions yet. We haven't um, found out all of the, the details about which driver is going to be in what car and this guy's driving for this uh, car owner this year. But some, some guys you'll definitely want to keep an eye on. I believe Jonathan Brown is coming back. Um, he has been a contender for the longest time. Jason Myers, of course, uh, Burt Myers is a brother. Um, he, man, I, you know, I've, I've thought for a long time that uh, I'm eager to see him win his first championship. I I predicted probably the last couple of years that you know this is going to be his year because um, he's one where he's just always right there up until the end, but but has never quite sealed the deal. And I, I I'm eager to see him you know do that one year. Of course, then I mean we've got guys like 
Oh, Chris Fleming. We've got guys like Lee Jeffries. I mean, I, I could just go down the list, you know, John Smith, uh, just people who have, have won time after time after time, championship after championship. We've even got a, a bunch of new uh, young blood up coming uh, through the field. We've got, you know, John Holloman, I think is one to, to keep your eye on. He was a, a very competitive driver in some of our um, our, our lower divisions in the, the the street stock and the sportsman division. Was very competitive in that, and in 20, uh, 2018, 2019, he started transitioning into modifieds. Um, and he actually, I think, you know, he he won. He's done very well. He's actually teamed up with Junior Miller, who, uh, for those who are familiar with stadium racing. Uh, Junior Miller was, you know, at one point the, you know, he was the guy. He was the guy that running for the championship. He was the guy that you did not want behind you, <laughs> because uh, uh, he was he was coming, and he was a, a competitive driver for the longest time. It had broken all sorts of records, and uh, he he has since retired. But now I've heard rumblings he may be coming back to take another lap or two around um, in support of of John Holloman, and he's helping uh, John with the car. So. Long story short is uh, I tell people, you know, Bowman Gray Stadium, it, it is almost like a male soap opera. Uh, that, that's the way I describe <laughs> it to people yes. because um, because when you know the stories of the drivers, and that's one of the beautiful things about weekly racing, when you know the stories of the drivers and uh, you know their their passion, you know their, their personalities, you know that this guy has history with this guy, but, you know, these guys used to be teammates and, and these guys never liked each other. And there was that one time seven years ago that this guy spun out that guy. Uh, it just, it, it, that's what makes it exciting. That's what makes it incredible to where the more you learn, like many things, like many sports, the more you learn, the deeper you go, uh, just the more, uh, the more amazing it is and the more nuanced it is. So there are, I would say dozens of guys over there to keep your eye on and it'll definitely be uh definitely be exciting definitely be worth watching and um two, 200 laps i mean we don't start off the season you know a lot of guys uh, a lot of uh, tracks uh they may kind of dip their toes in the water at the beginning but not us i mean we start off our season with our longest race we start off our the, our season with the, the biggest race of the entire year um so we the track will be uh different normally um you know, there's been some construction there, and so that we, we you know, we've we've washed off the track, and 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 so there there's some uncertainty about the track conditions. The drivers are wondering, will it be like it was in 2019? Also, we're racing now. We're going to be racing in June for the Hayes Jewelers 200, whereas previously we would have been racing in mid-April, which doesn't sound like a big deal unless you think about, well, that might be literally 10 or 20 degrees of temperature difference mm -hmm. and humidity difference, and that makes a a, a massive difference in how your tires will perform, how your cars will perform, how you've got to set up your car going into it. So it'll be interesting to kind of see with with all of the changes um, what shakes down. And we have a Friday practice session that's open to the public. Uh, you can come on out, starts at, at noon, and then qualifying is it at 5 o'clock that evening, 5 to 7 that evening, the Friday right before the first race, so Friday, June 4th. And it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens then and, and what happens in qualifying and how the field gets set because uh, this year will be unusual uh, for many, many, many reasons. Yeah, I think uh, people don't really realize the scope of how important to Winston-Salem, Bowman Gray is. It's it's in the pantheon of local sports for us. Um, for me, growing up in Kernersville, you always go to Winston. Winston's the city that you always go to. And as I grow into my sports career, I, I work for the Carolina Thunderbirds. Brett works for the newly minted uh, disco turkeys that are going to be playing at Truist. And 
Bowman Gray has, for decades, for longer than I've been alive, longer than my parents have been alive, they have been the Winston-Salem sporting event. They have been the thing that you go to, and it's cheaper than going to see a movie nowadays. You're, mm-hmm. you're right there. You're actually there. Brett and I, we have gone to some of our competitors or your competitors' racetracks, and we, we paid quite a bit of money to go into it. So that's the difference. That's why I like Bowman Gray more than a lot of things is that it's still the family thing that it was 50 years ago, and that's why it's perfect. They haven't sold yeah. out. They haven't become a shell of themselves. It's the exact same talent. It's the exact same entertainment, and it's all for the very same low price. Yeah, that, that's something we actually work hard at, and um, I don't think I, – sometimes I wonder if people realize that that is, is something we've strived very, very hard to do is to keep ticket prices low. I mean, we – I think our ticket prices were uh, – we, we kept them the same for like almost 15 years. We didn't up the ticket prices, and only re- recently have we gone from from 10 to, to $12. And like you said, I mean, you know, I could, I could take my family to, to Bowman Gray Stadium for much cheaper than, than going to a movie. You know, mm-hmm. and um, th- we we have great concessionaires there, so uh, and and souvenir vendors. So if you want to come and get concessions there, uh, they they we, we've got some great options. But if people want to bring in their own food, um, that's that's an option as well. And I'll see lots of people just kind of you know bring in their coolers, bring in some pizzas or some you know a bucket of chicken or something like that, right. and and uh, just uh, make a good time of it. Make a good time on a Saturday night. I know for many people. That's uh, that's that's their their family entertainment after after a long week of work. That's what they're looking forward to on a, on a Saturday night. And a lot of people, and it might not be true for you guys because I mean you guys are are, are race fans and and you get it. But a lot of people who are not race fans, I think a lot of times they have this uh, this stereotype of of going to a local racetrack where they think it's going to just be you know a, a, a bunch of toothless rednecks and there's going to be beer everywhere and fights. And, and it's just, it's not like that. You know, we, we've had people visit and they're like, Oh, this is just like, you know, good old hometown America. Like this is a slice of, of, of everywhere else. Like this is my neighbors and the people I go to church with and the, the people I work with. And uh, it's just great family entertainment. And that's what I really like seeing too, is, is uh, the generations who have come up where we have people over there who are, are bringing their, their children and their grandchildren. And it's just a, a part of their, their family tradition to get tapped into the racetrack and to know what they're doing on a Saturday night. They're going to go enjoy, like you said, a, a piece of history. And, and uh, to, to tie in with that, you know, you mentioned Bowman Gray stadium being a part of, of Winston Salem's history. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, just a lot of people aren't, I think aware of, of how instrumental uh, Bowman Gray stadium has been to Winston-Salem's history and to NASCAR's history. As a matter of fact, right. um, Winston-Salem, or excuse me, uh, Bowman Gray Stadium is NASCAR's first weekly racetrack. So NASCAR was started in 1948, and then some of the people who started NASCAR started racing at Bowman Gray Stadium in 1949. That was Bill France Sr. and then uh, Alvin Hawkins were, were two of the people uh, behind behind racing there. And it has stayed in the Hawkins family. So um, uh, Joe Hawkins ran it and then Eloise Hawkins, who was Alvin's uh, wife and then, um, their, their daughter and their son-in-law. And now actually grandson, uh, Greg Garrison, uh, the promoter over there and Jonathan Hawkins, the general manager over there. Uh, both of them are, are grandsons of Alvin Hawkins. So it's, it's been in the family, but it was actually, uh, NASCAR's first weekly racetrack and the division of racing there, you know, there, there were no divisions. It wasn't like you had 
this division and that division and modified sportsman and street stock. It was just, you know, cars. <laughs> and that that ended up being the the cup racing. I mean, that that was where where cup racing um, got its origin from there. So if you look at the people who have raced at Bowman Gray Stadium, uh, the, the the people who have been uh, working on cars back in the pits. I mean, it's pretty a, it's pretty much a who's who of NASCAR. You know, you, that's where Richard Petty won his 100th race. Um, Ralph Earnhardt, who is Dale Earnhardt's seniors' father, uh, Ralph used to, to race at Bowman Gray Stadium. Uh, Lee Petty, you know, uh, Richard's Richard Petty's father, uh, raced there. You've got the Allisons, uh, of course, the Myerses. You've uh, Richard Childress. Uh, he he grew up in the area. He he hawked peanuts in the stands. And he fell in love with racing. And then, you know, you know, the, the rest is history. Uh, so it's just a, it's, it's a who's who of, of NASCAR history. And, and it's been a, a part of Winston-Salem's heritage for over 70 years. It's a track that's not only known in Winston, but it's known in the entire world. If you know oval racing, you know stock car racing, you know NASCAR, then you surely ought to know Bowman Gray. And we hope to see all of you guys there. Thank you so much for coming on, Lauren. June 5th, the Hayes Jewelers 200. We are going to be there. We hope to see everyone who's listening there. It's going to be the main event. And like you said, it's going to be a lot different than the Hayes Jewelers race we're normally used to. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we'll, we'll see you there on June 5th. Yeah, no problem. We, and, and I should mention, we've got four divisions of racing every single night. So come on out. Uh, June 5th, we'll have racing for our modified sportsman street stock, stadium stock divisions. Uh, you can find out more about our schedule or, or directions or email list or anything you want to do on our website at bowmangrayracing.com. Coming up, Brett and I are going to talk about Circuit of the Americas and maybe a little bit of Brad Keselowski news next. Welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. And Brett, let's talk about probably the race everyone's been looking forward to more than anything. Um, one of the new road courses added to the schedule, literally never before run by on a stock car, aside from tests uh, that have been held over the course of the race Uh since this track was built about 10 years ago, Circuit of the Americas comes to town as the new man on deck. I actually think it's going to be the newest track on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule, um, just in talking about actual construction, because this track is in construction, not very old. Obviously, the Roval is newer in terms of when they put that together, but I wouldn't count that as a brand new track. But well, I think the next closest is Kansas because that opened in uh, two thousand one. So right? Yeah. yeah, and 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 Coda, yeah, and that's and that's like what a ten year lead because Coda's way younger than that. So right. Yeah, so, I mean, it really shows you how long we've been going to these same tracks in NASCAR. And, and this is a track, I didn't mean to cut you off, this is a track, as, as you well know, was specifically built for F1 to get right. the United States an F1 race. So it exactly. was built with that technical aspect of things. You, because the way it works, and, and I'll keep this brief, but basically the FIA the governing body of F1, they have very strict rules on where they'll actually race due to safety reasons, due to race conditions, and other reasons as to just making a good, good product. But nothing in America was up to par for a long time. They tried putting a race in New York City. That just didn't work. But as for right now, Circular America is the only track that will host NASCAR Cup Series racing, Indy racing and Formula One racing, and probably will always ever be that. I don't ever see um, 
them going to the racetrack in Miami, although that would be very cool. I would love to see that. Unfortunately, I highly doubt that will actually be a thing. I think they're going to keep that for F1 and F1 only due to the fact that Indy has a really good hold on that street race in St. Petersburg, the St. Pete races, they call it for some ungodly reason. But Indy's going to be Indy, and there's a reason we don't talk about it that much on the show. It's a very weird series. Um, why watch Indy when you can watch NASCAR and F1? It's like, it's like the weird Frankenstein of those two <laughs> racing series. But Coda to me is a track that a lot of people need to realize this is not very, this is not built for NASCAR. And I don't think it's going these, to be. These cars right now aren't built for this either. And, no. Uh, the thing that got me, I was watching uh, FS1 the other night and right. on Race Hub, and Mike Joy, Jeff Gordon, and Clint Boyer were talking about this. And if there's anybody that knows how, in NASCAR, that knows how an open wheel car works, it's probably Jeff Gordon. And right. he has he has been in attendance at every one of those F one races that's been at Coda, and the the thing he talked about was, and Mike Joy talked about driving around there in like an old style Trans Am or something that's pretty similar to what you'll see on on Sunday. Right. But there's, it's very technical and it's designed for an F one car that breaks a lot harder, that breaks a lot better, that's designed for tight corners heavy braking zones, all that kind of stuff. What you're going to see Sunday out of stock cars and a, a current-gen car that is not at all designed for this is a lot of cautions and a lot of dive bombing. Absolutely, and and, and I think people need to realize there's this, there's this phenomenon that it, I can't explain to anybody. They don't seem to understand what I'm trying to say when I say this, and I hope you will. When you bring like stock cars to a track that was designed for F1, the track gets bigger. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying it gets wider, but the simple fact that stock cars are far slower than an F1 car, the track gets bigger. You have more room to make mistakes, but you also have more room to pass. These turns that we watch F1 races and say, oh, this is so hard. How do you get around that? Or the S's, once you get up the hill and you take that left-hander and you go straight back down the hill and you go down all these S's, that's not going to be that challenging. What's going to be a whole lot of fun is a lot of these right-hand corners. That starting straight that then goes into that crazy left hand that easily puts out one what, to two what, F1 what, cars per race. What's the name of that? What's the name of that turn? To. That turn has a name. What is it? No, I don't know. I don't do that stuff. I'm not that much of an F1 nerd, but I'll tell you. It's going to eat up these cars, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. And it's going to be like the – you remember the Tums heartburn turn? The Tums yeah, heartburn exactly. turn at the Roval? This is that on steroids. And thankfully, since it's not that much of fragile cars like we're, we're used to in F1, these cars are going to have to keep going, and you're going to see a lot of spinning out. I guarantee you, you'll see a lot of cars backwards right there. And you'll see a lot of dive bombing, too. But here, here's the other thing about this track. And if you watched the the i the i race the other night, you, you heard guys talk about this even in the simulators, was the, the sharp... And quickness, the sharpness and the quickness of the inclines and the declines, that there's so much elevation change, even if it's slight, it can upset the car even in the slightest. And the other thing is, Mike Joy said this uh, when he was talking about driving around there on the Trans Am, it's not necessarily S's, they're, they're, they play more like an R shape because of the way it's sloped. I don't exactly know what, what Mike Joy is talking about when he says that. Um, 
You'll have to explain that to me after we finish the recording. I have no idea what the hell Mike Joey's talking about. But I'll tell you this. I have been there. When you go to that starting grid, that starting first line, and you climb that hill, it's almost like you see nothing but the sky. Now, it's not that steep, but it's pretty freaking steep. And then you go and do a straight left-hander, which, by the way, if you're blind going on a straight, you really think that's going to be a blind left-hander? I'll promise you it is. It's and very we're, blind. We're talking about, like, if you think about Watkins Glen and what happens when they get into that first corner there, the some kind, sometimes calamity that happens there, right. like we just talked about at the Roval. This is those things on steroids because you're talking going that same amount of speed on that straightaway and then not seeing anything until you suddenly notice a wall and a sharp left-hand turn. Oh, even with practice, these, I mean, I love NASCAR, you know that, but these stock car drivers, especially guys who have very little road course experience, oh, they're going to they're going to be eaten alive out there. The most talented guys in the world are going to be eaten alive on Sunday. I'll promise you that. For those who are and here's where the guys fans, that tested have an advantage. I mean, yeah, a little bit. I'd say they know the track a little bit. They've already gotten out there. They're going to be feel a little bit more comfortable coming into that practice session. But I'd say once you start racing, throws almost all of that out of the way because it's only three drivers. So it's not like we got to see four guys per manufacturer. So I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I don't feel bad because we and we even talked to Corey LaJoy about this, who was almost complaining that Chase Elliott got to go and run the road course even though he already has that much experience. That's not going to guarantee him the win, you guys. He's still – look, here's the thing. If he's that talented that you think he doesn't deserve the experience, then that's probably why he gets to go. Do you see what I'm saying? The yeah. fact that he is that road course talent is exactly why they put him there. If you try hard a, enough – He would have had an advantage regardless. So, I mean – he. <laughs> He just seems to figure out how these stock cars drive. I promise you, guys, stock cars are not made for road courses. They never have been, ever. They understeer like crazy. They're way too heavy. They have literally no aerodynamics. And it's almost impossible to fathom a giant brick with a billion horsepower and four tires the size of Texas going left and right and left and right and up and down. The fact that you can complete one lap in a NASCAR stock car race at Watkins Glen, at Sonoma, at Texas, Texas, excuse me, at Circle of the Americas in Texas, is just vastly impressive. So I'd say watch the Truck Series race, watch the Xfinity race, watch everything there, you guys. This is going to be great. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. With that, we still have other things to talk about. And then this is pretty big free agency news, pretty big silly season news. And that, that's the Roush news. The Roush news that specifically involves someone that we never thought in a million years would go to Roush. I thought he'd go home before he'd go to Roush. Yeah, Brad exactly. I mean, Brad Kozlowski's 37. Um, the idea of ownership is starting to become this enticing thing that you can throw around. No longer is a lot of money something that people are starting to look at, right? We've seen this this past couple of years. Uh, Bubba Wallace was offered uh, ownership over a couple teams, and he actually chose to, chose to decline it. Um, so ownership clearly is not the next end-all, be-all, but if you have it up and you're willing to give it up, because technically if you're owners, you're basically just giving up a certain amount of cash um, in doing so. 
why not? If you can bring a guy like Brad Keselowski, I'd say if you could bring a guy that's younger, like Ryan Blaney, to a Roush team, one, that car is on the come up. They have been doing really good this year. Both Ryan Newman and Chris Buescher have been doing quite good, but not good enough to say, hey, one-time champion Brad Keselowski, you should come join us. Why would he leave for Penske? He's already in the, the premier Ford ride, so why would he take, I'd say, you know, the next step down or two steps down, really, because he'd have to he'd have to leapfrog over Stuart Haas. So ownership is now becoming the next new wave in offering drivers rides, and that's going to really shuffle up the playing field. And in a NASCAR Cup Series horizon that sees us bringing in a new generation of cars that was intentionally designed to one, increase the product, but even more so make it better for owners to come in, own a car, operate a team, make it cheaper in the long haul. Ownership is so important. Who works with this team is very important. If they can bring him in and Brad Kozlowski can right before he retires, bring this team to some sort of Cup Series stronghold, especially maybe even make them leapfrog over Stuart Haas and become the next best team or even the best Ford Mustang team, that will make his pockets that much deeper. And for a financial perspective, that's that's genius. This is, this is the biggest big brain move I've seen in stock car racing politics in a very long time. There's no doubt about that, and here, here's the thing for me. Again, I, I never thought anything like this would happen with Brad Keselowski, but the other thing is there is there's some shuffling that could happen here that could potentially be really fun for us to, to talk about because... Look, there's a distinct possibility now, even though we kind of knew this, it was kind of locked in, so to speak, from Roger Pitsky's perspective. Cindric mm-hmm. was going to go into the 21, and Matt DiBenedetto was going to be the odd man out. Right. There's a possibility now that, hey, Keselowski goes to Roush, and I might add, gets part ownership of that team, would be part of the deal is what we're hearing um, from Bob Pachris and others. There's a distinct possibility that Cindric could go into that ride and DiBenedetto stays in the 21 for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I don't see uh, a world. I've seen this where they say bring Matt DiBenedetto to the Penske ride and then have Cindric in the 21. I don't necessarily see that happening. I, I understand people's fears of bringing a guy straight to one of the premier teams, but it is NASCAR. You see it all the time. It's very rare that you're going to always see guys have to climb their ways uh, through the satellite ladder in the Cup Series. They've already done their climbing, right? They have already earned their spot. Cindric is a Xfinity champ. The dude, he knows what he's doing. He already drives for the Penske team in Xfinity. A jump straight to Penske in the Cup Series is not some crazy sort of unfathomable idea. And for those who are against that, I'd say, you know, have you been watching NASCAR ever? Plenty of guys have came straight into these talented cars. Half of the Hendrick lineup have came straight to Hendrick, and look how they've done. Okay? Exactly. They've come through the stable, and that's where it's where having junior motorsports, where, where it is as kind of an Xfinity satellite team, comes into an advantage. Right, right. And it, it, half, in fact, the half of Hendrick that I'm talking about, William Byron and Alex Bowman, 
they're the two guys who have race wins this season. In fact, they're two of three at the team to have race wins season. You know who doesn't have a race win this season? Chase Elliott. So Bingo. why do we have this fantasy that guys can't come straight to a top dog team? If they look good enough, take them to a top dog team because guess what? It's NASCAR. If they suck, move them out the next year or fire them halfway through the season and put someone else in the ride. Put hell, put put Joe Gibbs himself in one of those rides. Who cares? Do something. If you as a NASCAR team are not always trying to give yourself the driver advantage and the mechanical advantage every single race, every single day, you should stop racing. If you don't want to win badly enough to do anything to get your car across victory lane on race day, you should not be in NASCAR. You should go find another sport. That's the thing. I Couldn't say this with team sports too, you know, and we talk about this on your show. If your ultimate goal on a team sport is to not win a title, regardless of the outcome, I don't care if you know you're going to be the worst team in hockey. I don't care if you know you're going to be 0-16 in the NFL. If your ultimate goal, every single snap, every single drop of the puck is not to win the Stanley Cup or win the Lombardi Trophy, you should not be an athlete. You should retire. You should go home. You should write poetry because that's not what sports is about. Sports is about overcoming adversity and even more so guys being better than other guys. You know why people don't stack up and we remember guys without rings? Because they didn't make it happen. Other guys wanted it a little bit more. And I know that's such a crazy argument. Everybody hates that phrase. But here's the thing. Fighting for titles, fighting for race wins, fighting for championships is the sport more than anything else. So bringing Cendric to a satellite team that has been pretty poor the past couple of years. In fact, the past two drivers have made that car look better than it genuinely is. I promise you guys, I love Wood Brothers, but that car is terrible is a terrible move. And by the way, Austin Cendrick's dad, he's a pretty high up at this certain race team called Team Pinsky. So it's almost confirmed. I'd say if that is going to happen and they are going to just jump, if 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 Cendrick doesn't end up in the 21, there's nowhere else he'll go. He won't stay in Xfinity. He won't drop down to trucks that make zero sense. He will come straight to Pinsky and take Brad Keselowski's seat. Or, by the way, Pinsky, smart enough, they never actually felt the need to go to four cars. They could just open up another car. Pinsky, by the way, is the premier four team, in my opinion, and yet they didn't get pressured like the Toyota team and the Chevy team to bring in four cars. They've been doing fine with three for ever, you know? So I'd say take a chill pill, guys. Let's fight for championships. Let's fight for race wins. And I think Austin Cindric deserves that Pinsky ride. Here's the other thing for me, from from an aesthetic standpoint, so to speak. For me, I know this well because we talked to him last week. I don't think there's anybody personality-wise that fits that the aura of that 21 car that we know it has better than Matt DiBenedetto. Right. Bar none. Played. That's just that's just how it is. I mean, he's he's that kind of guy. He's personality-wise, he's perfect for that ride. He and the Wood Brothers, as he talked about, are very tight-knit, and that's what happens when you come into that family. I, I don't know what it is about Cindric. I, he's a younger guy with a bit of a more brash personality than the Benedetto. I, I think he fits better in the two personality-wise. Hey, I like Cindric. He's a talented guy. 
but I don't necessarily like him in the 21 car. I absolutely agree. And with that, we're going to see you next week.